This is the Finding Strong Podcast. Push your limits, win the day, find your strong. Here's another episode. Welcome to the Finding Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Pat Gates, sitting here with Mark Bottenhorn. Hey, everyone. Hey, Pat. How are you? I'm um, doing pretty good, man. The weather right now in Michigan has been absolutely beautiful. That's a... Uh, I'm going to need to record that. That is a... That's a beautiful, beautiful thing in itself, man. Yeah, man. It's been, it's been really nice to get out, uh, you know, when I can to go enjoy the weather, going for walks at night, going for runs during the day going on long bike rides. It's been, the weather's been perfect. This good, despite, man. despite the other things that are happening, but yeah, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a tough, a tough setting for everyone. I've been living like a monk over here, man. Just straight, basically. straight monk mode. Yeah. Minus the, minus the shaved head. And that could be next. Cause I don't know when I'll get to see a bar. <laughs> yeah. So, man. It's interesting. I know that you shaved your head recently. I did. I gave myself a buzz cut, but you know, uh, it might be my last fucking haircut. So, <laughs> brother, with that hairline you have, you better tread lightly. <laughs> I know, dude. I, I don't got. I don't got that LeBron money to fix it. So, no. Each each buzz could be your last, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So, uh, what do you uh, what do you got on the agenda for today, my friend? Um, I want to talk, I, I think that like, I always want to talk training. So I want to, I want to loop training into this, but I, I really hope that we can bring everybody who listens, um, a lot of, I, I guess a lot of value with this episode. I want to take an, an introspective look at my own habits, um, and every, you know, and, and, and maybe see if we can identify some potential habits that are, that are not providing us with the best life, um, that are, that are, that are stopping us and maybe destructive in some senses, but also maybe have a broader, um, planetary effect. And I also want to just talk about health in general. Yeah, for sure. That sounds, sounds, uh, like a really good topic for right now. And there's no point in beating around the bush. Um, obviously we know we're in the midst of a global pandemic, which is pretty much decimating New York city right now. But it seems that they're stemming the tide and they are in the downward trajectory of the curve, or if not very close to it, based on modeling, based on epidemiologists, uh, based on what you're hearing from those politicians. Um, so my thoughts are obviously with the people of New York City, um, multiple run strong athletes that I coach in New York City, multiple friends in New York City. Um, you know, my friend Kat is a personal trainer there. Just so many, so many friends in New York City, uh, coworkers, everything. Uh, definitely thinking about them top of mind, and think about people everywhere as as you're either dealing with the virus and varying intensities, or or, or dealing with uh, the byproduct of the virus of being locked in. And I know the mental health and havoc that this is wreaking on everybody uh, and yeah. income as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, man. And I also say that I'm not immune to it. I've been furloughed at my job. So, um, at least for the next 90 days, and I'm hoping that it's not permanently, um, I'm still technically a new balance employee, but I'm not being paid. Um, so it's, it's going to be a transitional period for me. 
Um, and to reflect on that, you know, we, we did an episode last year saying, Hey man, I said, I got to make a change. I have to make some changes in my life. I want to pursue these things I'm really passionate about. And, and, and I, and I took this move and moved across the country and, um, landed my dream job, was excelling, was crushing it, was loving every minute of it truly, as you know, mm-hmm. um, yep. listeners, as anybody listening knows that that's, that's heard a podcast before and things didn't quite pan out. Uh, it's only a chapter. It's not the whole book. Uh, so I'm not going to jump to conclusions, but, um, I gave it everything I had. And, you know, I think that many of my athletes, many of my friends, many people we know, family members, uh, have been in similar situations, right? Yeah. And, uh, my, my heart goes out to each of them because I know how hard this is. And the way I've looked at it is I've got two options, right? I can either crumble down and, and be weak about it and say, woe is me. I worked so hard to get this job and I might've lost it or blah, blah, blah. What about my income? What about, or I can, or I can say, well, what am I going to do now and, and make plans? So this is going to be a tradition, you know, a transitional period, but the goal doesn't change. The, the destination doesn't change. I'm still going to pour my heart and soul into everything that I do. And uh, when everything else comes around, I think we'll be good to go. And I'll be repping that flying and be again, I think, yeah, I definitely think uh, what you put into the universe, the universe will deliver back to you. So if like uh, you can't just crumble and you know put yourself in a shell or whatever, and you can as long as you push through and you you grind it out and you focus on the positive things in your life and focus on what you can control, I think that the results and the universe will reward you. Yeah, I think that's very spiritual, Patrick. But I also think it's very accurate, and um, I also. Not only am I putting it into the universe, while I worked, you know, I put very tangible uh, results and numbers out. So that that should benefit me as well as the spiritual aspect, um, just showing that uh, a return on the investment in me as a person um, and employee. So uh, what I will say is, you know, somebody said, well, how are you doing this? How are you balancing this all? Like, how are you still even focused on training? And my first response was, well, how are you not? I mean, <laughs> yeah. For yeah. me, it's it's the only thing I know. Like fitness has been such a huge part of my life, and what I see is obviously I'm salivating at the opportunity, and I love nothing about the circumstances. But I'm salivating at the opportunity to pour everything, my heart and soul, into training and coaching. Um, so when other people might see a dead end or whatever it is, I I see an obstacle uh, that that I think that I'll overcome and anybody out there is capable of overcoming. And I think that I see a lot of opportunity, and I'm not making some false toxic positivity. Um, I truly believe that there's going to be a lot of opportunity in this. Um, and, and when I do get back with them, I'm going to hit the ground running. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's really weird because like focusing on training is, is to me, it's, it's the stress reliever. It's, it's getting out of the, the, out of your house, your apartment or whatever to go spend some time doing something that you, you like to do and you're increasing your, your fitness. So to me, it's like, yeah, it's like a no brainer to like to, to keep training or train harder. Very much so. I think rarely, uh, I said this earlier, I was on an Instagram live with a, with a running company out here uh, doing some Q&A and stuff. And I, I said earlier, I think rarely do athletes get this uninterrupted period of several weeks to build a really strong aerobic base. Um, so yeah, of course, like that's my mission. Um, but also just for mental health sake, and it's truthfully one of the only things that we can still do right now that's deemed safe 
So I, I can't see any reason to stop running. I think this is the time where you should double down and not double your mileage, but, but definitely double down on your, on your goals and see if everything's so aligned in your life to, to really do some positive things, especially once this band lifts. I think there are going to be so many strong runners in the fall because of this. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I even know people who, who don't really work out and, you know, they kind of like kind of live like not the healthiest lifestyle, but uh, I was talking to my buddy at work. He was like, He's like, man, he's like, he's like, I'm going to buy a bike. I was like, sweet, dude. I was like, yeah, do it. The next day she sent me, he sent me a picture. He bought like a brand new nice bike and he said, yeah, I'm getting out and riding. He's like, but fuck, dude, I am out of shape. I was like, well, that's why you bought the bike, right? To, you know, help yourself. He's like, yeah, that's all I'm going to do this whole quarantine is go on bike rides every single day. I'm like, that's fucking awesome. See, it's like someone's making a change for the positive. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really exceptional. I think it's, that's going to be, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think the silver lining of this whole thing is you're going to see people develop really positive habits and are in a true love of fitness and a, and a really back to basics um, approach to it. And I think that is going to be the, the truly one of the true positive takeaways from this situation. And while we're on that, I think this is a, this is an important time to make the argument um, for why you should start building these little habits. I think to make any habit stick, you need an extended period of time to do so. You know, there's signs that says a habit forms in this amount of weeks or this amount of weeks. Um, but truly I think a bunch of small changes uh, replicated over time will give you the opportunity uh, to develop that habit into like a, a lifelong tangible realistic thing. And what a better time now than when you have, a couple weeks or a couple months of uninterrupted time to really put those things in motion. And I don't take my word for it. I want to make, I want to make the argument to why this is really important. So if we could switch course a little bit and talk about, talk about the virus that is currently effectively ravaging the earth. If you look at health outcomes of this, the CDC released a report today as of, Today it's it's April eighth. So the most recent health report from CDC showed that um, it's really nothing new. Two point five percent of people eighteen to forty nine were admitted to the hospital that had the coronavirus. So of the people admitted to the hospital, two point five percent of them were between. So that means ninety seven point five percent of these people were over fifty years old. Um, so, and then most people had chronic or underlying diseases. Some people have chronic illness uh, that could be largely um, created by genetics, and some people have lifestyle-influenced uh, chronic illness. It's right. no surprise that the areas in the country that are hit hardest by chronic illness also are hit hardest by the virus. Now, it doesn't make it any better. People are, people are dying. People are very sick. There's a lot of other things going around, but I think that each person, I like to think that anybody listening to this podcast truly values their life and values the life of those around them. And I think it's very important to realize that, that we're making a lot of choices, which can have long-term consequences beyond this virus. Uh, but the virus is, is showing that, um, a lot of chronic illness, and, and of course, I'm not painting with a with a broad brush here. There are a lot of cases of chronic illness that just 
aren't self-inflicted. I'm only talking about the self-inflicted cases of chronic illness. If you look at the prevalence of chronic illness in the U.S., um, typically in er areas that are lower educated or swept by chronic illness, um, but this is a good introspective time to think about what you're putting into your body, what you're asking of your body, what you're doing to your body. Um, what we saw prior to this was a lot of people in bars, a lot of people in restaurants, a lot of people in different places that got shifted to their home. And you're going to see a lot of home cooking and uh, just naturally you're going to have healthier nutrition because of it. And you're going to, you know, drinking takes an exponential toll on your body, as you know, and as you and I both yeah. know, Pat. Yeah. And if you, if you look at these things, this is something we're doing. All of us as a society in general are doing these things on a, on a daily basis and we're wreaking havoc and making our bodies these, you know, your body is a temple, but instead we're making it just a breeding ground for chronic disease. And I hope that everybody listening will maybe reevaluate the way that they do things and the habits that they have. I think it's very interesting. This is a time you're spending a lot of alone time. This is a time where you're alone with your own thoughts, and that can be very scary. Um, but this is an opportunity to really ask yourself, are you putting yourself in the best position to thrive, as we've talked about before? And when you think about the long-term consequences of your actions, are you doing things that, that heal you? Are you doing things that speak to your soul? Or are you doing things that are destructive and are you doing things that harm you? And this isn't the first, this isn't the first pandemic of our lifetime. Even this no. certainly isn't going to be the last, um, your survival. If you, if you are unlucky enough to come in contact with this virus, your survival, uh, in a lot of senses depends on your level of health. Um, the outcomes of the virus are determined by pretty much, there are exceptions always, but pretty much determined by chronic illness. And that's the case with a lot of diseases. That's the case with the flu itself, um, not comparing them. This, it's, the, it's the case with, with a lot of illnesses. Do you have underlying conditions? Um, some things we can't control. Some of, us, some of us get cancer. Some of us get heart disease genetically. Sometimes it's lifestyle inflicted. We want to do everything we can to not put ourselves in the lifestyle inflicted. You know, I like to think of, of genetics maybe like your genetics – load a gun and put them to your head, but your, but your lifestyle factors are what pull the trigger, right? Right. So are you doing things in your lifestyle that are self-sabotaging? I can tell you a while back I was. Um, so today is my 99th day completely free of alcohol. Um, but last, last year we kind of talked about it. I was struggling a bit with the idea of letting go of drinking and the social implications around it, but I knew it was wreaking hell on my body. I wasn't sleeping enough because of it. I was trying to train hard, but dealing with the effects of alcohol. And that was something I knew I could see long-term being a catalyst for chronic disease. I've seen alcoholism uh, in, my, in my family, not necessarily my immediate family, but beyond that. And I see the long-term effects it has. I see people dying because of their dependence on alcohol. And I didn't want to put myself in that position. So I did everything I could to remove myself from that. Yeah. And that was, you know, one indicator that I'm, I'm finally starting to really prioritize my health and wellness, you know, Pat? Oh yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. That is something that I've been doing. I'm not saying I'm not, 
I haven't like drank at all, but I'll still go out and like, I'm not going to do what I've done in the past. Um, I know that my past doesn't necessarily define me and what I'm currently working on now. Um, but yeah, I definitely will go out and like not, but it won't be like over the top, like how I, how I was. It's nothing like going out and slamming, you know, 12, 12 beers or whatever and staying out till 4am and eating Coney Island. Like that, that is, that is something that is not useful to anyone. And it's something yeah. that I've completely cut out of my, cut, cut, cut out of my life. Yeah. You and I standing next to each other, puking, puking yeah, in the, not... in the parking lot of the yacht club. Not good. It's not good. No, no, it wasn't good. And it, it was a memory, but, um, but we have a lot of memories that didn't involve drinking too. So hundred percent. And I used to justify it by saying, well, these are memories I'll never have. Yeah. Like what? I, me and you standing next to each other, puking our guts out. And yeah. What a, a, what, what a memory. <laughs> so much fun, brother. I can't believe I used to use that to, I used to use that to justify my actions. Um, but that's what, that's what, substances will do to you i didn't necessarily identify as an alcoholic but it's i don't see any so some people can do what you do pat and now do things in moderation we certainly weren't doing it in moderation a lot of times um but you can you can do things in moderation now like for me i've just decided personally that there's no use for it like it's i i can't see one positive benefit of having alcohol in my life and it doesn't get me any closer to any of my goals whatsoever so i removed it altogether and so today's day number 99. We are sitting here three and a half hours away from day number 100. And it's a cool little milestone. I'm excited about that. That's awesome. Um, I'm pr- proud of you. I, I, I want to say prior to that, I didn't really drink too much either, though. Like, I went months without drinking prior to that and drank yeah. with my brother-in-law one time. So that's what that 100 days is from. But still, it's cool. Um, yeah. It's really exciting. And it's something that I'll just continue doing now. I, I was like, I'm going to do it for three months. But now I'm just like, no, nah, I'm just it's three months is over. I'm just going to continue doing it. Yeah. Uh, so that's really cool, really exciting. Um, but that's just one way I introspectively looked at myself and realized that something was doing more damage than good. You know, I see, I see a lot of people saying like, and I'm not going to minimize this virus is very dangerous. Um, but I see a lot of people saying stuff like, well, you know, like there's no, we got to stay, everybody stay the F home. We got to stay socially distant. Great. That's good because it stops a community spread of a, of a virus. But like, you know, the person I was talking about saying, you know, like, hey, man, this virus is a real killer, stuff like that. But like, and I'm not and I'm not judging, but I'm questioning, like, also is like binge drinking and smoking cigarettes and ordering takeout every night and is saying how scared of the virus they are. Well, it's OK to be scared of the virus, but we have to act somewhat reasonably and realize that those lifestyle inflicted things are going to lead to a lot more long-term hardship than the viruses. Right. The likelihood of perishing for the virus for the average person is very low. The likelihood of uh, developing a chronic illness is very high, like two out of three. So it, it, it almost seems backwards to me that in it's, it's a, it's a mindset that we as humans can fall into. We're scared of the, sh- the short-term threat because we're wired to do that. Yep. But we're not, but we have trouble thinking of long-term actions and consequences. So you see a lot of people um, it's, it's like that in sports. It's like that in everything who are looking at short-term game and instant gratification. Well, the instant gratification in this place would be that you survive, which is, I would say good, probably a survival mechanism, but we got to look at the long-term people who have chronic diseases, particularly ones that are self-inflicted suffer for a lifetime. And, 
before before dying, usually untimely. And if if we want to maximize our own health, wellness, well-being, and longevity, I think it's important that we that we limit these outside factors. So while I'm glad that everybody's worried about this virus that's circulating around, I, I really hope that people will take this time to realize that um, there are some really really other dangerous things lurking that don't quite have the elaborate media coverage that this has. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause you know, if you just sit in your house, cause I see, you see like a lot of memes on the internet. Yeah. Some of them are funny, but it's, it's people talking about, you know, becoming alcoholics and like, Oh, I woke up at, I don't know what time it is right now. So I'm just going to have a glass of wine or whatever. It's just like those silly memes, but it's, it's breeding, breeding, um, negative thoughts to say, well, yeah, I'm just around quarantine. I guess it doesn't really matter what I do, but no, it, it all matters. It all matters what you do. Yeah, for sure. And I'm afraid what we're going to see is a lot of people who are otherwise uh, motivated to try to, to, to better their lives and better their situations. And I'm afraid that this is going to set people back monumentally because what do you do with all this freedom, all this free time? Um, you know, what do you do when, when like one of the only viable things to do is go open the refrigerator and, and eat when you don't necessarily need to? Uh, just out of boredom, you know, what are you going to do when you, when going to the grocery store is frankly played out in the media to be like one of the worst things that you could ever do. So you just go and get takeout instead. Like, what are you going to do when this is all over? Are you going to be disappointed with your actions? Are you going to be disappointed that you set yourself back? Are you going to be just disappointed about the outcome of the actions? So that, that for me is a, is a concern for people. I'm not saying anybody should or shouldn't be. I just know that people are really hard critics of themselves. Yeah, definitely. And, and with being like laid off and uh, being furloughed or whatever, like that is, that is a huge mental, mental struggle um, to not feel like worthy or valued as like a person with like your job or something like that. It's, it's, it, it definitely can take a mental toll on you. And then just being like stuck in the house quarantined and alone with your thoughts, like not working, feeling kind of useless. It's easy to kind of fall into some bad habits. So that's where we got to kind of got to take care of each other and take care of ourselves and kind of prop each other up and take the take the opportunities to, you know, to train and do things and find normalcy in our lives that that, that are outside of, you know, a job. Yeah. And I, I think you're I think you're right on with that. Like I can identify with every single person, as I said in the beginning, I, I got I got furloughed with this. I went from effectively being, you know, like I done it. First of all, I, I feel like if I'm not working my butt off, then I'm providing no value to anybody. So my constant mentality is to be working my butt off and it's part of my identity. And then I went from being like having a review and told you're doing awesome. You're doing excellent. You are crushing it. It's, it's like incredible what you've done to, and I showed you the review, Patrick. And then, yep. <laughs> then the, and then, and then so basically went from that to saying, okay, well, you're not essential to business. And it's like, whoa, that's a huge identity crisis for me. But um, I have to practice what I preach. Just like I, I, I tell to all, to everybody that I encounter, my athletes, and I have to to make the most of this situation and circumstance. And I'm going to do it by continuing to refine my own personal habits. Um, I know recently that photography has been your kind of go-to thing. It's been this new uh, uh, art that you're kind of honing in and and for me, it's been about refining my ability to to properly um, execute a plant-based diet. It's been this journey of mindfulness and consciousness that like, I want to make sure and reevaluate that I'm living as gently as I can and I'm not over-consuming. Yeah, because we got we to gotta remember like none of this 
none of this like pandemic stuff is, is this virus is not our fault. So if you're laid off, it's, it's not your fault. You know, it's just, we just got to remember that, that, that doing the, just keep keeping that life of normalcy and remembering that this is temporary. And then the long run, we're going to be back to, we're going to be back to doing what we're doing and living our lives again. Pat, I think you're exactly right with that. And now this is for the time for the worst transition in the history of transitions. <laughs> I'm going to make an argument that, first of all, I agree 100% with you, Patrick. I don't think that people, any of this is, is anybody's fault. Um, they're not they're not less valuable. They're not losing their job. They're not struggling mentally. They're not ill. It's not their fault. It's not. Now I want to say collectively, this is our fault. Um, and the reason is, is because as a society, we're prone to overconsume uh, in general. I don't think, as I told you, I don't think that this illness, um, I, treating the illness is first and foremost because because yeah. people are sick and they need medical attention. Um, beyond that, treating this virus is a symptom of a bigger problem. And, and the Definitely. problem is, is, is the havoc that we're wreaking on the planet, the havoc that we're, that we're wreaking on everything with overconsumption, with the way we conduct our daily lives and business. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I know that I've never thought this. Did you ever think that somebody would put – First of all, the fact that wet markets exist is utterly disgusting, and I stand by that. Um, but did you ever think that somebody would have a bat stored on top of a pangolin, and then the bat shits and pisses, and all these animals are shitting and pissing on each other, and this one bat happens to shit on this pangolin, and these people make you know butcher this pangolin, and this guy gets sick from it and spreads this virus across the world like a wildflower. And it's not directly his fault, but it's the circumstances – that this even happened in. Um, yeah. You know, these animals are tortured, killed, beaten, and this is not some kind of vegan advertisement. It's, it's utterly preposterous, the conditions that the, that, that the earth is in because of our overconsumption. And this is, this is, this is what's happening. And unfortunately people are, are paying with their lives for, for what's, what's happening to us right now. And it's, it's really mind blowing to think that two months ago, everybody's going on with their lives like it was normal. And now the whole world is locked down because, because one animal shit on another got butchered. The disease spread yeah. all over the world. And then our yeah, government's yeah. locking us in our homes. It's, it's like a, it's like a very bad sci-fi movie. It's like, it's way worse than, than uh, a Sharknado or whatever. The, sh- the blood widow. It's even yeah, worse than that blood, movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's yeah, like, it's like crazy. You can like, how can even no one can even like really make this up? It's just it's just a crazy fucking thing that happened due to just this over overconsumption and like this greed and like search for materialistic things. And and pangolins are rare and endangered, and we're still you know hunting them and and selling them on the black market because they think it's like a healing thing. Yeah, but people just like eating exotic meats anyway. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, I, I think I think that it's it's a really weird setting, and I don't want to take a grim outlook on it because it also ultimately has a positive ending. But what I'm going to say does at least. But if 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 you look at fast forward and you look at the healthcare system effectively crumbling 
in America. Supply chain seems closer than ever to absolutely crumbling in America. The media is running rampant, um, doing anything they can to pump our ratings. Uh, politicians seemingly inept. Um, medical, the, the medical advisors and epidemiologists can't seem to get it right. Um, vastly overpredicting deaths and then now lowering and altering their projections effectively on a daily basis. Um, paranoia everywhere. Again, not saying that we shouldn't take this fire serious. I'm saying that that, that fear and paranoia um, will not be the way to solve it. I think level-headedness and realist, you know, being realistic will. Uh, so we have all these things going on, looking like our supply chain is going to crash. We have a broken system, for-profit healthcare. Um, our healthcare systems are we're underprepared. The, the the people that work for them can't even protect themselves. Meanwhile, th the reason is we don't have masks in the U.S. because we're exporting to China with our for-profit health system to save one one less than one cent per mask, um, and then we're left high and dry when we need them. So these, these healthcare workers that are on the front line fighting this vicious virus aren't even being protected. And our system wronged them. Our politicians wronged them. Our, our, our own habits in, in voting these elected officials in wronged us effectively. And it just seems like this really cataclysmic and just dangerous event. You know, um, I will say it's positive that, that health officials overpredicted the amount of deaths and devastation this virus would cause um and some areas are going to be hit exponentially hard and some areas aren't going to be hit too hard um but today you know like the big thing was the real big social media trend was to repeat stay the fuck home uh it's good we should follow social distancing rules um and then the next the next trend was to say it's not the flu here's why well it's not the flu because it's not influenza a it's not influenza b um Yes, they're entirely different viruses. Then Dr. Fauci, who uh, is obviously been kind of the go-to expert in this, released a peer-reviewed journal in the New England, uh, whatever, Journal of Health or whatever it is. He released a peer-reviewed journal today, and I don't have the exact quote, so I'm paraphrasing because it's on my phone, but he said that um, based on the idea that way more people than they thought remained asymptomatic through the whole cycle of the disease, that this virus and the mortality rate would be much more akin to a really bad seasonal influenza uh, than it would to other pandemics that it's been compared to. So it's, is it really confusing that the top, that the top basically scientist on this says it's not the flu. It's, it's very dangerous. Doomsday, 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 2.2 million people will die in the U S to, then publishing a peer-reviewed journal saying, well, it's not the flu, but it's a lot more like the flu than we thought in terms of the numbers. And that's got to be maddening for anybody who's trying to, do, to research anything or follow because you're just getting this mixed information from everywhere. And we have to understand that, obviously, as numbers trickle in and we have more information available, they'll be able to make more accurate predictions. And again, I'm happy the numbers are way lower, but I don't think that inciting panic at a national level was the best idea. No, so, no. And it's like, it's kind of hard to sift through the bullshit because today I saw for the last like few days, I saw like multiple articles saying why Detroit is like the epicenter of, of, um, of this virus and, and we should be inside always. And then I saw another article saying that 
Detroit is being praised as as like the people staying inside and being and keeping social distance. So it's just like, well, well, which one is it? You know, it's kind of well, you just kind of got to sift through the sift through the bullshit and see, you know, where's that middle ground? Yeah, the media needs clicks to survive. Honestly, uh, they need they need they need clicks. They need people constantly reading the articles. It's a uh, being a journalist is a tough industry and they need to do what they can to survive. Um, yeah. With that being said, you know, the, according to, to any of these articles, they expected 50% of people to adhere to social distancing rules. And that's why some of these numbers looked more grim initially. They found out that, that greater than 90% of people actually adhered to it. So that's the reason for the, for the big drops. So, Effectively, they're pretty much praising, with the exception of a few stubborn areas. They're pretty much they're pretty much uh, praising the the response of the American people as a whole. So I think that's really positive. Um, Detroit's going to be particularly hard hit because what we know about Detroit and it's one of the most unhealthy cities in the world, rampant with uh, obesity, type two diabetes, uh, heart disease, and we know that the inner city. Uh, the Detroit city as a whole is going to be ravaged because of that. Yeah. Um, obviously being both from Detroit, we know that Detroit is vastly underfunded. Uh, they don't have the resources necessary uh, to provide people with really good quality food and education around food. Um, and I, I think food is the medicine uh, for a lot of people. And unfortunately, because of a lot of wrongdoings in our society, the people of Detroit have have long not been able to prioritize those things. It's more prioritizing survival. Um, so the education and programs in Detroit, uh, combined with you know the people's lack of accessibility to things, has led to a perfect storm in a dangerous situation. Um, so you so. Obviously, most pe- most people that have you'll see occasional articles of somebody young and healthy passing away. Very rare, though. Um, what you're seeing mostly is people with co- comorbidities associated with this. So that's why you're going to see in Detroit, and that's why you're going to see in New Orleans. There, there's going to be um, higher levels of death there than in pretty much anywhere else in the country. I would say. Yeah, but I also I also think that a lot of these areas, it's like Detroit. They're like grossly underestimated in terms of the people's grit and will to do whatever it, it, they need to do if, if necessary, which is like social distancing. They go to the grocery store like once every two weeks or whatever. Um, people like really underestimate the, the power and the, and the grit that the, that these people that grew up and lived and been in Detroit all their lives have. Yeah, uh, totally. Um, I think, when I lived in Colorado and now that I live in Dallas, I think I have so much pride for Detroit and I just am immeasurably proud of the, of the uh, just blue collar work ethic there. Um, And I, and I'm really proud of how people can band together and and be a really solid community. So um, obviously projections can't, can't read can't read that and um the the more people can limit the transmission of the virus the more we can limit uh the the illness associated with the virus um with that being said i think given the circumstances things are looking more positive uh than they might have been a week ago for everybody um 
You know, and I think that's a, a perfect segue into, into what I was trying to say, because that collective community that you speak about in Detroit, we're seeing something really unique and really powerful right now. And it's that people in general think that maybe one vote doesn't make a difference or people in general think that maybe one small individual action doesn't make a difference. But here we are in a situation where the only way we can overcome it is if we individually um, do our part contribute on our own and isolate ourselves and make really good decisions. And now what you're seeing is, is like the individual effort can go a really long way. Absolutely. Um, and so I encourage anybody who's potentially thinking, well, what can I do? Um, you know, how can I make a difference? Well, it's, it's really weird. We're in a, we're in this, in this situation of minimalism almost in, in a lot of senses, like supply chains basically cut down. Um, we're not able to get things from Amazon in two hours when we order them delivered to our door and it provides a unique perspective. I think a lot of people are going to see, well, I don't need this or I don't need all this junk that I've been buying or whatever it is. And myself included. And I've realized that, man, I can live on a way more minimalistic way than I have in, in a lot of simplicity. So that's why when things do go back to normal, I don't think we all need to rush to go back to the exact uh, things we were doing before. So just cutting out some things and, and being more responsible in small ways can go a really long way if a lot of people do it individually. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And like living a more simplistic way is going to you know ultimately lead to make things easier for you. It's going to lead to, I think, I mean, at least what I found, it's it's made me uh, more happy. Yeah, I think when you simplicity is is golden in a lot of senses. So yeah, that's I think that's entirely true. Um, so I, I encourage anybody who's listening who thinks that potentially they have some changes they want to make in their life. Well, this is the time to do it. This is a great time to do it. Um, if you're working from home or whatever it is, you can build new micro habits into your day that can, that you can think of those as like planting a seed and they're going to cultivate into something big. And if you just keep reinforcing it each day that you're home or stuck home, it's a really good time. Um, if you struggled with potentially socially drinking or drinking too much, well, this is a perfect time to break that and show that you don't need that. Um, you literally can't do it. And you're saying, well, maybe I didn't need to do it to begin with because look at me, I'm doing fine. Um, and then maybe, maybe this makes you change the way you eat. You can, you can prepare meals and, and learn to, to cook and better make a better, more efficient system for yourself. And then you can make really positive dietary changes, which will certainly positively impact the environment and your overall health. Um, I think those things are really key. And I, I also don't want people to forget that, uh, you're responsible for yourself and your own health. And I can't say that I'm not going to develop a chronic disease, that I'm not going to develop cancer, or heart disease or illness or whatever it may be, but I'm going to do everything in my power to give myself the best chance to spend with my family, with my little baby, with, with my athletes that I coach with, you know, with my friends, yeah. I want to be here. I want to be contributing in, in the best way I can for a long time. And I want to be healthy and I want to live a long, happy life. So I'm going to do, and I can't guarantee it's going to happen by my lifestyle alone, but I'm going to do everything I can to put myself in the best chance for survival. Uh, one, one thing is like with this virus, there is a, there is a better positive, there are better outcomes associated with people with a higher lung capacity. 
Well, we know that running, cardiovascular activity, uh, aerobic activity, those things increase lung capacity. So we know right there that you've already given yourself a better chance to survive if you contract coronavirus. As a matter of fact, I coach three athletes who have been confirmed positive coronavirus, two others suspected. All five of them are fine, recovered, and healed. Um, and I'm not saying it was just because of aerobic capacity, but but it played a role. And all these little investments you make in your health will play a role in the future. And it may, we may not have to deal with coronavirus again. Yeah, we may I mean, deal with a different like, virus. Uh, yeah, I don't want to like make light of it, but uh, in the movie Zombieland, the rule number one for getting away from zombies is cardio. <laughs> it's I don't want to like make light of it like a joke, but like cardio is yeah. the number one thing that 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 helps you do. It drives you forward through with everything. Yeah, it, well, makes, it, make, it makes everything easier. Every, everything I found I do in my life um, that makes that's easier it has to do with having better cardio. Yeah, um, and to put that in a tangible aspect, because I, well, first of all, who knows? Maybe we might have to. After this, anything's possible. We, <laughs> yeah, you may have to deal with zombies. I don't know, but let me tell you something else. Um, it, it, it's a scientific fact that athletes don't necessarily suffer heart attacks at lower rates than general population in general but people with a higher vo2 max while they don't suffer less heart attacks per se um or significantly less what they do is have a much higher odds of recovery so the higher your vo2 max is which we get by training aerobically and slightly anaerobically but mostly aerobically higher vo2 max associated with higher uh, a positive outcome in terms of heart attacks. So you're more likely to live through a heart attack if your VO2 max is higher. So this is more indication that beyond this coronavirus, we need to be conscious of our health. And I encourage everybody to take the steps to level up in your, in your health, your fitness, your nutrition. Yeah. Like today I actually, um, I was, I was just like doing my little like nightly walk just, uh, after dinner, just to kind of shake my legs out. I saw this, uh, lady, she, I think she was maybe in her sixties. It's it, it seemed like I don't want to like you know put an age on her, but um, anyways, she she was like run, she was like running, but she was like kind of jogging, but like she was like really doing really slow, and uh, and like she like stopped for a second. She looked at me, and uh, she was like she's like man, I haven't she's like I haven't ran in in over ten years. I feel like, and she's like she's like now this is the perfect time to get out and get exercise. I was like hell yeah i was like goddamn right and yeah. it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how fast she was going it was, it was she was going out there and pushing herself improving her health yeah <laughs> improving absolutely. improving her ability to uh to to stem the tide you know um so that's interesting and motivation comes in a lot of forms there doesn't it i mean yeah absolutely i think there are a lot of people that wouldn't see themselves as motivational and i'm like and I talk to a lot of them on a daily basis and I'm saying, Hey, look at what you're doing right now. That's motivational. So many people wanted to give up when this whole thing happened. So many people were so dejected and discouraged quite understandably. And they, they wanted to fold it in and say, what's the point I've been training and this happened and this happened, this happened. And I'm so inspired by the other people who just keep going relentlessly. And I'm like, that's motivation. Don't matter if yeah. you're running, if you're running four Oh five in the mile, or if you're running eight Oh five or ten Oh five in the mile it does not matter. It's, it's, it's the fact that you're showing people that you got to keep on keeping on, man. And um, like I said before, one of my athletes, Matt, I said, what's, wh what are your goals? You know, I started working with him back in 2017 and he said, uh, my big goal is I just want to be harder to kill, man. Uh, and I said, what a wacko. And then, <laughs> and then now, like I said, I'm like, Oh shit. He was onto something. He was, he was wise before I was to this. And, and yeah. uh, 
I love that analogy because it's kind of just badass. But at, at the end of the day, there's a lot of truth to it. Um, and I'm thinking, yeah. like, what's like, what's he worried about? Bears or zombies? No, man. It's not All just that. It, it's yeah. a lifestyle factor. You yeah, know? So, absolutely. And, and like, uh, another, like uh, sorry, so go ahead. So I was, no. Like, another thing I wanted to say is, like, like even, like, these, these habits that you want to work on, they don't have to be, like, huge or profound. You know, it can just be like a little habit that you that you that you try to work on during this this quarantine. They shouldn't be huge or profound. Yeah, they should be like this micro little... moves. Yeah, yeah, because I, I I mean I find myself you know just like wanting that that big that big wow factor of like a habit I change, but like but you know you you build that up every every so like little bit. Hundred percent. Because one because one of my because I I. I I mean, I can an Anthony Bourdain quote that he says I can I can relate to it like a lot because I can find myself you know being lazy or being like very chill and just like hanging around. And he said like you know I understand there's like and he says like I understand there's a guy inside of me who wants to like just lay in bed, hang out, and smoke weed all day and just like watch cartoons or old movies. And he's like my my whole life is a series of stratagems to avoid and outwit that guy. And I I can totally understand that as like my whole my whole life is to is to do the opposite of like what I'm feeling. So if I'm like not feeling like I should go for a run, I'm feeling lazy. What do I do? I have to go out for a fucking run because if I don't, then it's just going to build up a, a bad habit of, 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 you know, sitting around and, you know, withering. And that's not, that's not what I'm about. 100% dude. I love that quote. I've never heard that before. We're going to have to put that in the show notes. Um, that, that is tremendous. And that was like hair raising, actually. I love that. What I'd like to do is take the next maybe 15 minutes to talk about some of the training adjustments I've made to my own training and, and, and the adjustments I've made to my athletes training, uh, by and large, why, and give the science behind why I've done it and maybe see if, if, if that's something that other people can draw a lot of benefit from. For sure. Let's do it. Um, so the first thing is obviously with no races in sight, I'm not going to, I'm going to repeat it one last time. This is a very rare opportunity for people to get uninterrupted training time. in. So what I think is really unique is a lot of athletes, endurance athletes don't get the appropriate time to build bases because they're often either tapering, racing or recovering from a race too often in the cycle. And it's really hard to build up a consistent base mileage because you can't keep increasing intensity and volume because at some point they kind of crash and it, what leads to is a recipe for disaster with injury. So what I've done is I'm taking the next at least eight weeks, but probably more, to kind of start from scratch and build my aerobic base up. And I'm doing it with a lot of my athletes too. And I will just go based on my miles um, because almost every athlete I coach is at a different place. So I'll just, I'll just go based on what my mileage looks like each week and, and show you how the buildup kind of goes. So and what my philosophy is behind it. So for the the first week, once um, everything was kind of going on and everything was shifting to working from home, I decided to take a down week and I ran 55 miles with two rest days. So I actually averaged about 11 miles a day or exactly 11 miles a day. The next week, um, I went up to 60 miles. The, the following week, I went up to 60 miles with one rest day, so 10 miles a day. The following week, I went up to 65 miles with one rest day. So I went... I was at a base of 55, so I went 60, 65. In this current week, I'm going to go about 70 miles on seven days. Next, so that's three weeks trending up, right? Mm -hmm. Next next week, I'm going to 
next week I'm going, so it was a down week, three weeks trending up next week. I'm going to take a down week and then build three weeks up again. So then I'll go probably about 68, 73, 79 or 80 down week from there based on what, because we're looking at effectively three and a half, four and a half weeks uh, from there, we'll see where it's at. And if I can get in that coveted third month of base mileage, then I will do it. If not, I'll be sitting somewhere around a, a really solid base of 80 miles a week. Um, if I'm able to do the three months, I'll sit somewhere around an average of 85 miles a week over, over a 10 or 12 week period um, yeah. or 80 miles, 80, 85 miles. So that will be really good and probably peak up in the nineties. If, if the country starts to open back up some and they say, Hey, we can do lit races maybe of less than a hundred people or something like that. Then it gives me a really good opportunity to say, okay, I'm eight weeks out from that race. I've just done 12 weeks of base mileage. So then I know, boom, I just increase the intensity and then I increase the specificity as the race gets lower and I'm, and I'm ready to go. Uh, so that's it, it's it's a bit of an emergency preparedness plan, but while I'm doing it, I'm also building uh, a really strong aerobic base. So what I, I'm doing that for all my athletes too. The typical structure is three weeks up, one week down. Usually twenty to twenty five percent reduction. Three weeks up, one week down, and it will vary based on the person. Uh, some people won't increase more than a couple miles, a couple minutes per week. Some people will increase more miles because they have the base for it. Um, yeah. Largely individual, but what's not individual is that it's usually going to be a three week cycle up and one week down. So yeah. So how the workouts change, like I said, we don't want to increase intensity and volume at the same time. So the workouts are going to change a little bit. We're not going to, we're going to lower some of those, some of those exercises that one during this period of time, we don't want to be susceptible in our immune system. Right. Um, so during this period of time, what we're just from any virus at all, but w what we're going to do is we're going to uh, lower the really hard race specific type of threshold workouts because they're not necessary right now. And what we would do is add some shorter, really relaxed fartleks with a lot of rest in between, like a lot of rest jogs and um, in between each uh, repetition. And then also add some kind of speed stuff in with fast 200s and really slow 200s to really keep that neuromuscular fast twitch connection, but not sustain stuff for me. Maybe like, you know, a while back I did a 12 mile tempo at 545 pace or something like that not doing that because that takes a toll on your body, your immune system, especially when you're increasing mileage, it's a recipe to get run down. So backing off the intensity, increasing the mileage is the, uh, the kind of end game there for, for most people. Yeah, yeah. Like our, like our friend, Nick Butson says, man, just take it chill, bro. Just take it chill. Yeah. And he's got a, his, it seems like there's no method to his madness initially. <laughs> so for the, for the record, for the record with, with uh, Nicholas, a good friend of ours, he was on one of the episodes of the podcast a while back in Detroit. We all recorded together uh, before he moved to Northern California and I moved to Dallas. Um, but he recently ran last weekend, ran a solo 50 mile at 702 pace. Uh, so he ran five, I believe 552. Um, if my calculations are correct, and granted there haven't been many races, 50-mile races this year because of what happened, he's run the fastest 50-mile time in North America. It won't count for record purposes, but but so far this year he's run the fastest, uh, if not the fastest, pretty close to the fastest 50-mile time. I mean, seven-minute pace over 50 miles is pretty blistering. He did it in a freaking time trial by himself on a random Saturday because because his race got canceled. And so it yeah. may seem he's a you know he's really like chill, relaxed. He's one of the most easygoing people that that probably either of us ever met but 
and it seems like there's no method to his madness, but what he does is actually backed in science. The bulk, like, like during these buildups I'm talking about, the bulk of all my athletes' mileage, of my mileage, of anybody I advise, their mileage is going to be very, very easy, conversational, uh, and as Nick would call it, chill and laid back. And it seems like he just does what he wants, but, but in truth, the science supports what he's doing. Running really slow, really easy is, is important because most of the aerobic adaptations are going to come in those zones. So a lot of your work has to be in those zones to be successful. And base mileage is a good time to really build a really strong foundation on, on which you can add some, some speed work. Uh, a little bit goes a long way, but add some speed work as races get closer. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I will be curious to get to get him back on the podcast, um, you know, maybe next week or whatever it is. And I, I want to hear a recounted uh, story of, of of what he did, his training leading up to it, his nutrition, his you know, he's a very scientific mind, very brilliant person, and I and I'd love to hear his his feedback on this whole current situation with the virus. Um, I know I know one thing is that th- this is a very challenging time and I'm so proud of of everybody who's just continues to push their limits in the face of adversity and in different ways whether it's loved ones getting sick uh, whether it's losing your job whether it's losing some motivation being stuck at home maybe maybe you can't safely run outside where you live and uh, it's still incredible to see people find a way around that and find ways to absolutely push their limits. And that keeps me going. That keeps me so positive to see it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. Me too. I think it's, I think it's such a beautiful thing. And um, what's furthermore, I, I think that that so much positive can come out of this really bleak situation. And, and I hope that I know I didn't state it very articulately in this, podcast but i do hope that this will encourage people um the thing is we have a lot of fitness-minded people listening to this podcast so it's maybe falling on deaf ears to say hey like make small changes like a lot of these people that we're they might not identify as great athletes but in the grand scheme of things they're fantastic athletes and and people who are pushing their limits and maybe they aren't the ones that need to hear it or maybe they need the reinforcement but i i hope that um this provides some time and insight to find the really destructive habits. You know, um, one last example is, is, and I'm going to be really honest and transparent here. And I know I touched on it, but I draw a lot of my identity from, from accolades, accomplishments, and the amount of work that I put into stuff. Um, a long time ago, my mom said, you're, you're a great person. You're a really kind person. I asked her what she, my therapist told me to go ask me what I thought of her and, or what she thought of me. And I was like, I don't want to do that, but I did. <laughs> and I, I went up to her and I said, mom, what do you think of me? And she said, honestly. And I said, well, yeah, honest, no, lie, <laughs> yeah. lie to me <laughs> and tell me I'm great. <laughs> and she said, and this might be one of the most important pivotal moments of my life, but she said, I think that you're a great person and I think that you'll do anything for anybody, but I don't think that you work hard enough. And I felt offended. And then that offended turned into, well, maybe she's right. And since then, I on my own have probably developed a little bit of an unhealthy relationship because my mom and dad both work so hard at what they do. And seeing them, it's like the only thing I know. And so I draw a lot of accolades from like, if I win a race, you can't tell me I'm shit. Like, even if I believe deep down in my heart that I'm shit, you can't tell me. You can't tell me because I won. Um, If 
if we win the championship in soccer, you can't tell me I'm a bum because we just won. Um, and you can't tell me I'm not a hard worker. You can't tell me I'm not useful in life, even if I don't feel useful, because guess what? I'm producing at work. I'm doing a really good job and I'm winning this and doing this. And a lot of my, a lot of my inner dialogue and self-esteem came from, came from this, this sense of like outside accomplishment. And you can effectively look at like, boom, that came to a, just a, a crashing halt over the last three weeks. Cause I can't yeah. go out. I can't go out and race people and say, look at this. I, I, I can't go to work and say, Hey, look how great I am. Look how hard I'm working. Um, I can do my best to be my best coach, but that's, that's other thing. So with my work identity and my competitive identity, basically muted to zero, it made me look introspectively and see, wow, maybe those were kind of destructive habits. And I knew as far as a year ago, when we were talking about this on a podcast back in last March, I knew that those were some destructive habits I have. And while I've been improving them, this is probably the final push I needed to improve them. So now I'm looking, I'm looking at ways and, and enacting ways and micro habits each day to say that was a bad part of my life. I have no excuse not to change it now. I, I, I have no other option but to change it and to draw my identity and self-worth from intrinsic things. And so now I'm working on that. And that's just one example of, of how I'm using my time my monk mode time to become a better version of myself. Yeah, man, I can, I completely agree. I can't, you can't say it any better than that. Cause I'm doing, I'm trying to do the same thing in my own way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then just, and just another small example is this time was so trying that it's um, I'm a very emotional person, obviously. And this time was so trying that, um, you know, it, 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 it hurt me being furloughed. Uh, because of some of the uncertainty, the income, a lot of a lot of factors potentially, um, it hurt my ego. But it, it when I would see things on the internet that I didn't agree with, or see people doing things that I didn't agree with, or my first response, maybe as a defense mechanism after this happened, was to criticize people or to say something I didn't mean. And this was a true test of my character and how far I came along, because this is probably the most trying situation I've ever been in in my adult life, aside from my time and anxiety, and I didn't know always handle that well so this was a this was a new test a new opportunity to test myself and see how far my skills have come along and i was able to control that rudder my tongue i was able to control it and i was able to to not say something i didn't mean and potentially damage a relationship with a with a friend or with with um an acquaintance or whatever it may have been or just make myself look like a fool i was able to demonstrate a lot more self-control and it was easy for me to be self-controlled over the last year or however long it's been since I broke my foot because everything's been going right. Uh, so it's easy then, but this was a true trying right. time. And, and the people's strongest characteristics and qualities come out in times of trouble. Um, and I'm really happy with the person that I've become, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah. And, and I know we've, we've talked, uh, I know we, uh, we talked like earlier, like a few weeks ago before you were furloughed and all you're doing is like researching and talking to me about stuff. And, it was it was very um i guess i don't know if zen zen is the right word but it's very it was very um you're like a, like an adult approaching approaching it it wasn't like a like how you how you used to be where you just snap or or go off on on a tangent or whatever it was more like thought out and methodical and like you had more control over what you were experiencing hey 
Yeah, dude, that means the world to me to hear that. It's It's been my Achilles heel in a lot of senses is my inability. Uh, it took me a long time in my life. Like I've always had very strong leadership qualities, but it took me a long time in my life to realize that talking over anybody wasn't going to get me to where I wanted to go. Uh, instead, leading by example and also uh, living a life that's free of free of harm and filled with love is key. And if if I disagree with somebody on something that's okay. Uh, I still, I still truly love them for the person that they are. And I've got a lot of love to give. And when, uh, when I let my own emotions get the best of me, I'm not being, I'm not radiating that love. And, uh, this is something I haven't done in years. So when the real test came out, man, I was, I was happy that I aced, I aced the test and I've really morphed into a person that I love and, 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 and I love to radiate, love and positivity always have. And now I've just, I think with maturity and, 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 and intentional growth was the point of it that I, yeah. I came to a place that I'm really happy with myself. Absolutely, not, man. We not got, satisfied. We got a, right. Yeah. But we got, we got nothing but love in our heart to give out and that's what we want to do. Yes. Yes. While Pat and I may rip on each other effectively all the time, there's a true <laughs> amount of, of love between us. And I, I think I speak for both of us when I say that, um, I love love all the people out there, just the people who have uh, shown us support, the people who are our friends, the people who just interact with us on a daily basis. You know, that's yep. that's such a beautiful thing. And I even love the lady today who told me that she's sorry to kill my positive vibes, and she put that in um, quotation marks. But <laughs> but my but um pho- but uh my the photo of me is photoshopped because because of my thighs and abs. I'm like. This is just how I look twenty four seven. I'm not photoshopping anything. Like I can send you a picture yeah. right now. Yeah, you can, you can't you can't. There's no way you can use Photoshop. I can guarantee that. One hundred percent correct. All, all of my Photoshop. <laughs> yeah, all the logo building. That's all been outsourced, brother. And um, <laughs> and frankly, the photo was the the photo was taken on a Samsung Galaxy S eight that was probably covered in sweat. So let's <laughs> let's get real. But I still love her. I love her for who she is. I absolutely. love her for being inquisitive. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. All right, man. Well, I think this is a good time to sign off. Um, thank you, Pat, for assisting me in my in my personal growth and sticking with me through these hard times right here. Uh, likewise, no matter how, how hard the times are, I'm just seeing a lot of positives. And I think that we are all building something fantastic. And I want to give one more shout out to my Run Strong athletes who I love from the bottom of my heart. And I appreciate their willingness, tenacity, and grit and, and, and just being the best version of themselves. How can I not be fucking motivated? Right. Absolutely, man. They, they motivate me all every day. Yep. All you guys out there, everybody, not just my athlete. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Finding Strong Podcast. As always, if this episode brought you value, um, please like, share, subscribe, rate us on iTunes, share us on Instagram, tell the world about us. Thanks again, and stay strong.